0: Welcome to the World Beyond the Tale, the Page Day American Gods podcast. I'm your host James, and today we're reading page 173. He gave me skill with words. Fine things, words. I write books of tales, you know. Nothing literary, just for my own amusement. Accounts of lives. He paused. By the time Shadow realized that he should have asked if he might be allowed to read one, the moment had passed. Anyway, what we give them here is Continuity. "'There's been an Ibis and Jackal in business here for almost 200 years. "'We weren't always funeral directors, though. "'We used to be morticians, and before that, undertakers.' "'And before that?' "'Well,' said Mr. Ibis, smiling just a little smugly, "'we go back a very long way. "'Of course, it wasn't until after the war between the states "'that we found our niche here. "'That was when we became the funeral parlor "'for the colored folks hereabouts. "'Before that, no one thought of us as colored. "'Foreign, maybe.' exotic and dark, but not colored. Once the war was done, pretty soon no one could remember a time when we weren't perceived as black. My business partner, he's always had darker skin than mine. It was an easy transition. Mostly you are what they think you are. It's just strange when they talk about African Americans. Makes me think of the people from Punt, Ophir, Nubia. We never thought of ourselves as Africans. We were the people of the Nile. So were the Egyptians, said Shadow. Mr. Ibis pushed his lower lip upward, then let his head bob from side to side, as if it were on a spring, weighing the pluses and minuses, seeing things from both points of view. Well, yes and no. Egyptians makes me think of the folk who live there now, the ones who built their cities over our graveyards and palaces. Do they look like me? Shadow shrugged. He'd seen black guys who looked like Mr. Ibis. He'd seen white guys with tans who looked like Mr. Ibis. How is your coffee cake? asked the waitress, refilling their coffees. Best I ever had, said Mr. Ibis. You give my best to your ma. I'll do that, she said, and bustled away. You don't want to ask after the health of anyone, if you're a funeral director. They think maybe you're scouting for business, said Mr. Ibis in an undertone. Shall we see if your room is ready? Their breath steamed in the night air. Christmas lights twinkled in. And that's our page. Mr. Ibis continues from the previous page and refers to the Lord as he, but with a lowercase h. So either this is a typo or a missed bit in the editing, or it's a hint that he's not referring to the God of the Bible. I don't really think he was, but I was given pause anyhow. We also get our reminder, or maybe our first, our first specific note, that Mr. Ibis writes books that collect accounts of people's lives. People like S.E. Tregowan, or perhaps even a lost Viking voyage to the New World. Shadow realizes too late that he should have asked Mr. Ibis if he could read from one of these volumes. It's such a quietly funny moment in the novel. There's, it's just half of a sentence, and I I love it. It's also funny, though less ha-ha funny, that what Mr. Ibis complains, uh, claims that they give the public of Cairo is continuity, which is very much a concept of fiction. I know it's It's got more of a general definition, i.e. the unbroken, consistent existence or operation of something over a period of time, which is certainly what he's referring to, but I also wonder, as Mr. Ibis is a writer and he's collecting these stories, does he make continuity errors? Probably not. He's fairly fastidious about the whole thing, but we will have, in a page or two, reason to revisit this idea. Mr. Ibis mentions that they did not thrive in the area until after the American Civil War, which was 1861 until 1865. There was a camp placed in the same area as Cairo during the war called Camp Defiance. In Wikipedia notes that there is a certain amount of archaeological evidence that suggests the area has held strategic significance going back to pre-Columbian America. Though there's no source for that line on the Wikipedia page, so as always, a grain of salt there. Mr. Ibis then goes on to discuss the racial sensibilities of the area and notes that he and Jackal weren't considered African-American until after the war, suggesting that they've been in America for a much longer period of time, possibly a significant one. I know I talked about travelers from Egypt to America a bit earlier, but we'll have cause to talk about it again in a few pages if I remember correctly. I may even contradict myself on that discussion with what I said previously. Ibis then goes on to discount the opinions of people who would consider him and Jackal to be African American, saying that that's more reserved for places like Punt, Ophir, and Nubia. Punt was an ancient kingdom best known for exporting gold, resins, ebony, ivory, and animals. It has been considered to be the historical reference for the biblical land of Put, mentioned in Genesis chapter 10, verse 6. The first known record of punt shows up in Egyptian records back to the 25th century BCE. It is thought to to have existed somewhere to the east of Egypt due to ancient Egyptians referring to the land as ta Netjer or God's Land, which would have been the land where the sun god Ra resided. That is where the sun sets. There's a lot of information on punt out there. It's spelled P-U-N-T. It's fascinating, but a bit off the page at this point. Ophir is a similar place, mentioned in the Bible and famous for the gold they sent to King Solomon. An 8th century CE piece of pottery was discovered in Tel Aviv in 1946. To corroborate it, the script on the pottery read, Gold of Ophir 2-4 beth horon beth horon was an ancient town mentioned several times in the Bible, famous for being the site of many battles. The location of Ophir itself has been quite a bit more difficult to nail down, though the most popular assumptions for where it is would be either modern-day India or perhaps modern-day Zimbabwe. In the area of crackpot theory, a 14th century theologian named Benito Arias Montano theorized that the location was actually Peru in South America due to supposed biblical gold being discovered in the country the idea being that a ship could have sailed from the cape of good hope which would have eventually landed in south america some 8000 miles or 13000 kilometers away as the crow flies of course going around africa and then crossing south america by land would add another long distance to it it's not the craziest religious assumption i've heard but it's one of those it's one of those very ...impossible things that we'll get to discuss in a few pages with Mr. Ibis, and I guess maybe I'll remember to talk about it then. I honestly don't think I remember to make notes relating back to this, but who knows. The final place mentioned by Mr. Ibis is Nubia. Nubia was a region along the Nile that was some distance south of Egypt. There's a lot of information about Nubia out there, but nothing that seems to connect back to the novel in any way. Still, if you're curious, there's a ton of historical information, especially in comparison to the other two areas Mr. Ibis mentions. Those were more biblical and ancient and almost lost in a way, but Nubia had a rich history. Mr. Ibis's response to Shadow's question about being Egyptian is charming as it is confusing for me, a white guy. I was always taught that mummies and pharaohs and pyramids were Egyptian, and Mr. Ibis doesn't necessarily take issue with that. He seems to more be taking issue with the idea that that the name doesn't fit. Yes, they were in the area that is known as Egypt, but that the gods and goddesses of the land go back beyond the people who came and built cities on top of all the ancient burial grounds and such. We've already discussed the gods don't exist without believers, so what does this mean? Do the believers of Ibis and Jackal and all others in what's typically thought of the Egyptian pantheon go back before what we traditionally consider Egyptian culture? And at the same time, it could also mean that in what is not an entirely uncommon situation, the gods and goddesses just get new names and a bit of a facelift, or if you're in Christianity, then you're your holy figures absorb the original ideas for which they were stolen from and become Jesus or something else. And that's also the way of religions. I'm not entirely certain what Mr. Ibis is getting at. I think he's just meaning that they were they were the people of the Nile before they were Egyptian. But I'm not sure. Like I said, this is one of those things that, that I don't think I ever gave a lot of thought for. But before I started doing this close reading of the book. I also think it's interesting, though, the American iteration of Ibis is pretty persnickety about this. He's got some part of the original god within him, and that might be it, or maybe he's part of the original. This is one of those discussions I'm not really ready to have because I don't remember how it all shakes out in the end. He's part of the the original god, Thoth, Toth, or he is... He's got a part of that god in him. I'm not entirely sure how it all works out, but he definitely is a little bit bothered by the... I don't know if I even say bothered, but he's he's at least trying to get to an understanding with Shadow, especially having been in the country for, I think we learn a little bit later, it's like 2,000 or 3,000 years. Anyway, I guess I've talked enough on this point, and I'm not really getting anywhere. I'm just kind of going in circles. These are questions we can always come back to later, but if you've got any ideas or better knowledge than I have, or even crackpot theories, I'd love to hear them. Get in touch with the show at theworldbeyondthetail at gmail.com and on Twitter at worldbeyondpod. Thank you to Julian Granganage for his version of St. James Infirmary Blues, which we use as our theme. And thank you for listening. I'll be back tomorrow with another page, and remember... Only the gods are real.